I'm going to read the passage for us. I'll leave this in prayer and then we'll consider it together. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you call us to be your children. We thank you for your loving care that shines through all things as you make us more like the Lord Jesus. Help me now to preach your word faithfully and clearly. And may you encourage our hearts by your word that we may persevere as your people, even when we face painful times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do you persevere when life is painful? How do you persevere when life is painful? The Christian life is uh, full of challenges that can make us weary and feel like giving up. I remember when I was first diagnosed with celiac disease back in 2014. Uh, the disease basically means I'm allergic to gluten and I can't eat most normal foods uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, the first two weeks sent me in great turmoil. Ask all those questions. Why did God allow this to happen to me? What did all this mean for my plans of wanting to serve him? Uh, would I even have a full life at all? Well, thankfully, I can still have a full life and, and I can still serve here in Malaysia. Uh, but it does remind us how, the, how suffering raises the big questions of life and makes us think about God's love for us. 
that when we suffer in the Christian life, that can be the time that we struggle most to trust in God's loving care and press on in serving him. Now, over the years, I've seen many people who've started the Christian life well. But when the tough times came, when they were faced opposition from their family or a disappointment in a relationship or a conflict with another Christian or a bad diagnosis from the doctor, well, then it all changed. They, they started to feel weary of following Christ, disappointed and disillusioned, perhaps even bitter and angry with God. And before long, they were ready to give up. Well, that was the temptation facing the readers of Hebrews. After believing in Christ, they had gone through a time of severe suffering. Uh, initially, they had endured it, but now they were growing weary. And they were being increasingly tempted to, to give up on being Christian and go back to Judaism where it would be easy and comfortable. They desperately needed encouragement and warning. And the chapter began in verse 1 like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And they, so they needed to remember all of those Old Testament heroes of faith mentioned in chapter 11. Those that had gone before them, trusting in God's promises, even though they couldn't see it, pressing on even when they were persecuted. And supremely, they needed to fix their eyes on Jesus, who'd persevered in suffering all the way to the cross and then been exalted. To the right hand of God. Those were really important truths for the Hebrews to hear, but they still needed more. They still needed to understand why they were suffering. They needed to be assured of God's love and guaranteed it would all be worth it in the end. Perhaps that's what you need to hear this morning as well. Well, let's begin point one. Uh, Consider Christ's cross and press on. Consider Christ's cross and press on. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Is that how you are feeling this morning? You love Jesus, but right now serving Jesus is bringing more opposition and hardship than you'd like. You're tired, you're discouraged, and you're starting to doubt whether you can really keep going. Well, we're given a glimpse of what uh, the, the, the readers of Hebrews went through back in chapter 10, verse 32. The author says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see, they'd started well, 
And they kept going even when they were facing severe suffering at the beginning. But now they were tired. Now they were weary. And the author reminds them how to keep going in the Christian life. To keep looking to Jesus. To consider him. To consider what he endured for us as he went to the cross. Verse 4, he puts it in perspective, doesn't he? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's a, it's a reminder that Jesus persevered all the way to the end. He didn't give up in the garden when he prayed in distress, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He didn't give up when he was unjustly tried and condemned. He, he didn't give up when he was flogged and beaten. He didn't give up as he carried his cross. He, he endured the suffering to the point of shedding his blood on the cross. And what is more, he endured all that for you and me. He did it that our sins may be forgiven. He did it so that we might become children of God. It's helpful, isn't it? When, when we're tired and we're weary and we're thinking of throwing in the towel because the Christian life is too difficult, we look again at Jesus. We gaze again at the cross where Jesus endured it all for us. Would you really give up on him and say to him that all his suffering was for nothing? Of course not. We haven't yet suffered as much as he did. Our suffering is painful. Our suffering is difficult. But his puts it all in perspective. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we are to press on. Consider Christ's cross. Press on. Well, the second point this morning, consider God's discipline. It has a loving purpose. Consider God's discipline. It has a loving purpose. In verses 5 to 11, the author helps us to understand Christian suffering rightly. Uh, he, tell, he explains that suffering does not mean that God has abandoned us, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. Rather, our suffering is the gentle discipline of a loving father. Look at verses 5 to 8, the necessity of discipline. Verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. See, our, our struggles don't mean that God doesn't love us or care for us. Uh, in fact, they mean the opposite. Our suffering is a mark that we truly are. The children of God. The quotation is from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. The, the context is of a son being taught wisdom from his father. The positive, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The negative, don't be discouraged when you experience God's loving discipline. Now, the word here for discipline means to train or instruct, to show the right way to go. It's, it's, it's the word of a parent leading their children. 
It's important that uh, we really understand this. See, when we suffer as Christians, we're not to think of an, of an angry, vengeful God who, who's, who's looking for our downfall. No, not at all. The suffering we face is from the hand of a loving Father who desires our growth. God allows his church to endure painful trials because he loves them. Verse 7 says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. This the suffering is the mark that we truly are children of God. And Jesus died on the cross. And as we follow him, we show that we belong to him as we suffer like him. And so if we've never experienced any discipline, any hostility, any opposition for following Jesus of, of any sort, and that continues throughout our lives, we, we need to ask the question. God's loving discipline is a, is a mark of the Christian life. Am I truly living for him as I ought? He continues in verse 7, What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. All Christians will suffer for their faith. Now I have three wonderful children, one more on the way. They're sweet, kind, a wonderful blessing from God. But of course, they're not perfect. You know, sometimes they need to go to time out. Uh, sometimes they miss out on their TV time or their snacks. And that happens because we want to teach them the right way. We want to teach them the importance of truth and generosity and protecting our siblings and, and of not being selfish or angry. I don't, we don't discipline our children because we hate them. We discipline them because we love them, because we want to nurture them and disciple them to grow in Christ-like character. And so as we go on in the Christian life, it is really important that we have a, a proper understanding, a proper theology of suffering. I think too many people think uh, th that uh, the Christian life is one that is always going to be smooth sailing, that because they are a, a child of God uh, and, and, and God is loving, that it means that he will never allow any form of suffering in their life or when they pray, he'll immediately take it away. And so many Christians struggle when the difficult times come, when they lose their job or they get sick or they get opposed for their faith. They begin to question the love of God. Where is he? But here we're reminded, God never promises that his children will have a smooth life. Rather, God puts us through times of suffering for our good because he wants to teach us. He wants to grow us. He wants to mould us and shape us into the people he wants us to be. Rather than causing us to doubt God's love, such times of suffering and opposition should assure us of his love for us. That discipline is necessary. Well, in verse 9, we see the right response to discipline. The right response to discipline. Verse 9, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? Now I know that uh, not all of us have had particularly good experiences with our fathers. Some of us never knew our fathers. Some of us have had absent fathers. Some of it, some may have even had violent and abusive fathers. All those things are a terrible tragedy. And verse nine is talking about what an ideal father should be like. Sadly, it's not always reality. But many of us did have fathers who loved us and nurtured us. They didn't do it perfectly. They failed many times. But nevertheless, we respected them for it. God's love far exceeds the love of our earthly fathers. He gave his life, his, the life of his son that we might live. How much more should we respect and submit to our loving heavenly father who is always seeking our good? Verse 10 says, they, they are our, our fathers. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, if we are parents, we, we, we know just how many times we get it wrong, as, as, as much as we love our children. But here we're also reminded of God's perfect discipline who always does what is best for us, who always does what is right, who always acts for our good, that we may grow in holiness and righteousness. Now, again, it's helpful to reflect on that comparison with parenting. Uh, human parents discipline their children because they haven't yet grown up to who they need to be. That The discipline is done deliberately out of love and for their benefit. It's meant to be painful. If it wasn't, why would our children pay attention? They wouldn't learn. But it's never without purpose. It's, it's never unjust. It's never unloving or vindictive. It's always for our benefit. It's always for our growth. And so with God, he's, he's always acting to mould us and shape us to be more like Jesus. He never puts us through things simply because he doesn't care. And God knows that it's when we suffer that he can easily, most easily teach us to trust in him and not ourselves. In suffering, he teaches us to pray to him, it teaches us the weakness of our idols that we trust in instead of him, it teaches us of his faithfulness and steadfast love. It's when we're experiencing opposition for our faith, when we're experiencing suffering in our lives, that we're truly able to imitate Jesus in loving our enemies and practicing forgiveness and serving others instead of ourselves and treasuring God's promises and rejoicing in our heavenly inheritance. When, when, when life is calm, when everything is going smooth, well, we're much less likely to learn those things. The first 300 years of the church, Christians suffered intense persecution at the hands first of the Jews and later the Romans. But rather than stamping out the church, that persecution only helped it to grow 
because the early Christians looked to the cross and they looked to letters like Hebrews, passages like this, and they understood the place of suffering in the Christian life. What about you? Have you come to believe and truly grasp that the sufferings and trials that, that you experience in your life are given from the hand of a loving God who desires what is best for you? It is hard, isn't it? We would rather not suffer at all. But our sufferings are not purposeless. And the result is more than worth it. There is great gain in our afflictions for the gospel. We should take heart when we're ridiculed by our family. Take heart when we're mocked by our peers. Take heart when we're marginalised or understood. Take heart when we're going through hard times and we keep on going in faith and love. Because we know God has a purpose in it all. Growing us to be more like him. Consider God's discipline. It has a loving purpose. Well, with this right understanding of the Christian life in mind, the writer then urges us on point three. Consider the outcome of giving up. Keep running. Consider the outcome of giving up. Keep running. Verse 12, he says this, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now verse 1 and 2, we saw that exhortation to, to keep running the race with endurance as the saints of old have done before us supremely as Jesus our Saviour has done. But these Christians here, they're told that they're not even on the track. They've stopped running. They're barely walking. The muscles are spasming. They're ready to give up. They needed the encouragement. Keep looking to Christ and his cross. They needed the reminder, suffering is God's loving discipline. But they also needed a warning too of the terrible consequences if they really did choose to give up. Verse 14, look at that. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a scary thought, isn't it? If we choose to swim with the tide, fit in with the crowd, so that we can avoid suffering for Jesus, we'll be excluded from Christ's heavenly kingdom. We won't see the Lord. See, if we're going to see the Lord and enter his heavenly kingdom, we must live holy lives that, that, that are different to the world, that, that show that we belong to him. And that means we strive for peace with everyone, especially other Christians. We're not so proud to think we're always right. We're not so selfish to always insist on our own way. We're humble enough to apologise. We're gracious enough to forgive. We're loving enough to seek the good of others even when they don't seek our good in return. We strive for peace with everyone. We strive for that holy life 
without which we will not see Jesus. Now, of course, he's not saying that we're saved by our works, as if what makes us one of God's people is the, the righteous life that we live. No, he, but he is saying that if we truly are one of his people who put our faith in Jesus' death, it'll be seen in, in action as God molds us and shapes us through his loving discipline to make us more and more like Jesus. Uh, John, Chapman, John Chapman, in his book, Holiness, asks us to imagine a wedding where the bride turns up totally unprepared. She's wearing old torn clothes. Uh, she hasn't bothered to brush uh, her hair. And, uh, well, she just looks horrible, really. Uh, it's unimaginable. Of course, at every wedding that uh, I've ever been to, I'm sure it's the same for you, the bride has made every effort to present herself as beautiful as possible. And in the same way, it's unimaginable that the Christian would not prepare themselves for heaven, would not clothe themselves in the, the holiness, the beautiful character of Jesus Christ. Of course, we won't do it perfectly. We will always compromise and, and sin, and, and we'll need to go back to the cross again and again and ask for God's forgiveness. But we will always strive to respond to God's loving discipline and grow more like Jesus. Now, it's crucial that we keep running the race because there is a danger that we won't make it. Verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Back in Hebrews 3, the author reminded us how, how the generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt didn't make it to the promised land. They rebelled in the wilderness and there they died. And he warned us we face the same danger if we do not persevere in following Jesus. This root of bitterness here, it takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 29. There we read this, Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. See, we must actively guard ourselves against the thinking that our sin doesn't matter or that failing to live for Jesus won't have any consequences to it. The Bible is very clear here. If we drift from Jesus, if we stop running the Christian race, the consequences are severe. We will miss out on heaven. We will come under the judgment of God. In verse 16 and 17, the author gives us an example of one who experienced just that, Esau. He says, verse 16, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. Remember the story? Esau set to inherit 
the wonderful blessings of God, comes back from a day of hunting, so hungry that he despises the promises of God and sells it to Jacob for a bowl of lentil stew. He was a fool. And when Jacob went on to steal his blessing, it was already too late. And so here is the warning from the scriptures. Do not exchange Christ your Lord for anything in this world. Don't trade Jesus for that ungodly relationship. Don't trade Jesus for a lousy career. Don't trade Jesus for the approval of your parents. Don't trade Jesus for your own comfort, security, happiness, or anything else. Or you'll be a fool, just like Esau was. Because for those temporary pleasures, you will lose your place in the eternal kingdom of God. You will consign yourself to an eternity of conscious torment away from the presence of God. Perhaps right now you're on the breach of that compromise. You see that the root of bitterness is already growing in your heart. Repent before it's too late. Consider the outcome of giving up. Keep running. But we've seen today that God's kingdom is greater than anything else in this world. When we're, when we're weary, when we're tired, and we're uh, wondering if we can keep going in the Christian life, we need to consider Christ's cross and press on. Consider God's discipline. It has a loving purpose. Consider the outcome of giving up and keep running. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and keep running the race to the end. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this word of encouragement and warning. Lord, help us to press on in running the Christian life. When we're tired or weary, when we're feeling bitterness growing in our hearts, protect us, Lord. Strengthen us and help us. Help us to keep looking to Jesus. Help us to remember your fatherly care for us. Reassure us that your kingdom is really worth living for. Help us to press on for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.